Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm honored that you're here. I have an interview from the archives with Curtis Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong is known for his many roles in motion pictures, Risky Business, Revenge of the Nerds. He also played Ahmet Erdogan in the movie Ray about Ray Charles. You may also remember Curtis Armstrong in the TV series Moonlighting. In addition to being an actor, Armstrong has a strong affinity for the musical stylings of the late great Harry Nilsson. In this interview that was originally broadcast on the radio several years back, Curtis Armstrong talked in great detail about why he appreciates Harry Nilsson's music so much, as well as Curtis's fondness for books. I think the listener will gain a great appreciation for Armstrong's candor and passion. I certainly enjoyed talking to him. I've got something to tell you about that's pretty exciting to me. A letter of comment was included in the LBN Examiner that I wrote. If you're not familiar with LBN Examiner, it's a very interesting email newsletter that comes out every single Sunday. Subscriptions are totally free. I'm a big fan. What can I say? This is not an advertisement. I'm just enthusiastic about the fascinating content that they send out. I'm so honored that they publish my letter. Go to lbnexaminer.com to sign up. It's totally free, and you'll be very glad you did. Before we get into the interview, just remember that our interview episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now on Rumble as well, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can support us in our mission by going to thepaullesley.com. Click on Support the Show. It helps us, and I thank all of you out there who have contributed. Now let's get into the interview. It's our great pleasure to welcome our special guest. His name is Curtis Armstrong, and he's an actor who has appeared in many movies. He's also the foremost expert on the late, great Harry Nilsson. It's with great pleasure that we introduce Curtis Armstrong. Ladies and gentlemen, it's with great pleasure we welcome our special guest, Mr. Curtis Armstrong. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. My first question who is Curtis Armstrong? Oh boy. Um, well, that's um, that's uh, not very hard. Um, he's uh, uh, an actor of some thirty-six years uh, standing, and um, uh, father and a husband and um, boy, that's about it. Well, tell us a little bit about where you were born. What was life like growing up? I was born in Detroit, Michigan, in in the uh, in 1953, and um, at the time it was. Um, I mean, you know, you look back on these things uh, with, you know, I I do anyway. I suppose with a bit of uh, of. Uh, affection and nostalgia it was uh, I had a very good very good childhood growing up and uh, was uh, my fa- my family was uh, was based in Detroit but then my father who worked for Chrysler Corporation was transferred to Europe in 63 uh, and and uh, so we all went and I wound up living until 1967 I lived in Geneva Switzerland and uh, 
then came back in 67 to Detroit and was there until, really until uh, I left the academy where I studied acting in the early 70s. And uh, and I had uh, co-founded a theater company there in Ann Arbor, actually, um, towards the end of that time, and then moved in 76 to New York. And one of your earliest loves was uh, your, you had a very uh, strong interest in books, Washington Irving and uh, yes, uh, the Sherlock Holmes books. Right. T- tell us a little bit about how you uh, discovered the books and, and how you took it to the level of wanting to collect them. Well, it was a. Uh, there were always books in the house, um, in my parents' house, and in uh, my father's parents, my uh, paternal grandparents' house. There were always books. And I think when you're drawn to them, um, you are drawn to them when you're surrounded by them all the time. And when we went to Switzerland, I mean, I always loved books, and uh, my parents always bought me books. In fact, uh, I was reminded about the fact that when I was about five, uh, still living in in, uh, suburban Detroit, uh, something happened, and I decided I was running away from home. And um, I packed a suitcase, and there was nothing in the suitcase but books, no clothes, nothing, just books. And uh, because it was, uh, you know, running away was fine, but I couldn't imagine myself without my books. And, you know, hauled this enormous suitcase filled with books, you know, all the way down the street trying to run away from home. Um, so that was sort of rooted in me from an early age, a love of books. I didn't ultimately run away from home, obviously, but, um, (laughs) somebody driving by recognized me and picked me up and brought me home again. Um, but then, uh, being in Switzerland in the sixties, in the early sixties, there was very little, uh, as far as culture to do pop culture certainly um, there was a lot of music and I got a very early dose of uh, loving particularly English uh, rock and roll from that period because it was everywhere um, but again you know you couldn't go see movies we were too young to see most movies except for Disney movies and things they were very strict about that there and so books became, uh, along with music, became a refuge. And um, as far as the collecting of them, I guess that was something that just is was part of my DNA. I, I don't know where it came from exactly. Um, maybe it maybe it had to do with moving around a lot, uh, I, which seems like counterintuitive because if you're moving around, you don't acquire things, but I guess it was maybe a uh, uh, a desire. I see it in my own daughter, actually. She has a similar thing uh, of when you become involved, uh, interested in something, you tend to dive into it deeply. The uh, collecting then, you know, once I became able to actually buy books and collect them, that became uh, an interest. You said a, a second ago about you had a DNA kind of to to dive into something, and you're known as a uh, somewhat of an expert on Harry Nilsson. And uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you, how did you first come to listen to to Harry? Oh gosh, uh, I knew I, I knew his music from the early late sixties, actually. 
but like a lot of people had no idea that he was the same person doing all of these different types of music. Uh, he was very much a chameleon. Uh, with Nilsson, you know, he was coming out with songs then, uh, records then, and I, I, I liked all of them, but they all didn't, they, it didn't sound like it was the same person. It was amazing to me. And then, you know, uh, gradually I figured out by about 1972 or so um, uh, who he was, and it just started, you know, it's one of those connections that you have that are, that that are really kind of impossible to explain logically. It's just a connection. You feel like, not that you know the person, but that you have a, a, a sort of an intuitive grasp of, of who that is. And uh, I became really interested in him and listened to all of his music. And he played on a lot of other albums and a lot of other people, like the Beatles, for example, who adored him, um, were fans of his. And, you know, that was interesting to me and you know i i just uh, i i became interested and so by the 70s i was sort of casually collecting a lot of material about his life and you know articles when i could find them and that kind of thing and uh and then by the time he died in the uh early 90s uh he was uh you know i had this massive archive of information on Harry Nilsson. And then when uh, I was trying to get a documentary together and I was in touch with uh, RCA in New York and when they found out who I was, they asked me to co-produce the re-releases of Harry's albums, which I did eventually, um, doing liner notes and picking out bonus tracks and that kind of thing. I never met him. Uh, apart from a letter that I, I I wrote him a fan letter in '76, which he which he uh, answered very generously. Uh, aside from that, there was no actual personal connection between me and Harry Nilsson. It was just uh, it was just uh, a real affinity for for his music. So tell us, how did Harry Nilsson begin in music? Well, he started. Uh, he started as a songwriter, you know, sort of a hack songwriter in in Hollywood. He was he was doing demos for people. He worked with Phil Spector for a while. Um, he worked, you know, basically doing any sort of job. But but he he was writing. He was actually working in a bank at the time, and uh, he was writing songs which were getting put out there and doing some recording. Um, and but no, but totally under the radar. No one was really aware of him at the time. And then uh, he went to. Uh, he was ultimately brought into RCA and given a recording deal. This is a very short version of it. Um, his album Pandemonium Shadow Show, which was released in 1967, uh, post Pepper. And uh, and it, it the Beatles were. Uh, instantly attracted to it and talked about it a lot in interviews. And then by 1968, the Beatles did their big uh, press conference in New York about the formation of Apple, and they were asked about uh, who their favorite American artist was, and they said Nilsson. And then what their favorite American group was, and they said Nilsson. 
because he was sort of famous for doing multiple fantastic uh, multi-octave voice and doing a lot of uh, of uh, overdubbing, so he sounded like a group. To a lot of people, he sounded like the Beatles. And um, that was the beginning of it. And he had a he had an active recording career up until 1978, and after that he did some movie and TV work, and and then um, you know was in retirement and then sort of in a kind of retirement until his death. Do you have a favorite record of Harry's or an album that you think is more important than the others? I don't think I have one that's more important than the others. I've got I've got several that I like a lot that are favorites of mine. Uh Aerial Ballet for the early al- albums is marvelous. Um I have a real affinity for Son of Schmilson, which was his second sort of rock and roll album. Uh, and uh I also like Sandman, which is one of the later ones. And I like uh, Nilsson. It's actually pronounced Nilsson, but uh, it was the last American album he did in 1977. I love all of those. And do you have a favorite song, or could you pick a favorite out of, out of all the ones he's recorded? Well, I, I can't do a favorite song. I mean, it, there, there are so many that I really like. I, I couldn't even. I can't even pick a favorite album. You know, I have to pick four albums. <laughs> I'll tell you the the cover that he did of Over the Rainbow that I think that in that oh, yeah. that song's been covered so many times but I believe that his was the finest. Well, it's a great one. It, it really is and that whole session was kind of an amazing uh one-off when which he did periodically, you know, he did an album only of Randy Newman songs which is also brilliant and of course the point which a lot of people know uh, was a one-off, and then Little Touch of Schmilson in the Night, which is the one you're thinking of, uh, which he did with um, with uh, Gordon Jenkins, the great arranger, conductor. And yeah, I love I love those recordings. I really do. But I mean, I'm 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 an unabashed, um, unapologetic uh, fan of his music, and and always have been. According to a past interview you did, you said that you've approached your love of Harry Nilsson from a faux scholarly perspective. What did you mean by that? I think it's because I, I, my interests are primary, primarily literary, so I tend to look at things from that kind of perspective, and Harry's lyrics sort of, not lyrics so much exclusively, but Harry's body of work plus his life really lends themselves to that kind of a study. Um, It's almost as if, well, when I wrote in that letter in 76, it was because I wanted to propose writing a biography of him. Um, The idea at that point of a documentary had never crossed my mind, but I was interested in writing a biography because that's how I tended to see things. That interested me, you know. I might love the the Sherlock Holmes stories or the Woodhouse books or uh, uh, Irving, but in addition to loving those books, I'm interested in what how people analyze those people and their work. 
and that was sort of the way that I wanted to approach Harry because that was the way I felt. It's the way I have always approached subjects that interest me. Um, so that was that was why I was probably saying that. I don't remember saying that, but that's probably what I meant was uh, a subject that interests me, I wind up delving into very deeply. And that's why I said earlier that I see the same thing in my daughter now, because, and of course, she has the internet, which I did not have. <laughs> um, so now there's a ton of stuff about Nilsson on the internet, which was, you know, wasn't there 10 years ago. Um, and so my daughter, when she gets interested in a band, you know, she's got hours worth of you know, stuff that she can find, and that's what she winds up doing. She's exactly the same as me in that regard. You know, she goes from one band to another because of connections. And I guess that's the thing with Nilsson for me, is I always found interesting connections between Nilsson, other types of music, other musicians, session players, that whole thing, and that that interested me. Yeah, that's that's very similar to the way I approach subjects, and it is very fascinating to see all the connections in music. Oh yeah, it goes on and on. Absolutely. So, so tell me, how many concerts of Harry Nilsson did you attend? Uh, the, he the none because there were none. No, he never performed live. Really, I did not know that. Yep. Interesting. That was, you know, another thing about him, which was sort of interesting for for some people, was the idea that he was somebody who produced all of these albums. But that's why I say post-Pepper, when it comes to the first album, the idea that the Beatles had, which was, you know, we don't have to to necessarily perform live anymore, we'll use the studio as an instrument and explore the studio indefinitely, that kind of thing, which is, it's ideal and not really practical at all in the long run. That was sort of the way Harry was. His was born out of a, of a I think a pretty deep, unexpressed stage fright um, that kept him from performing live, except for one time. The only time that I'm aware of that he performed live in front of an audience was in Las Vegas. In 1992, he made a guest appearance with Ringo Starr and the All-Star Band at Caesars Palace. They were on tour, the All-Stars were. And he came on unannounced and... Uh, sang um, Without You, the big bad finger hit that he had, his biggest selling, I guess, hit. They had worked it up as a surprise. And to my knowledge, except for, you know, just, you know, uh, parties and things like that, those that is the only time he ever performed live in front of an audience. He did a lot of TV performances, but only in the, in situations where he could control what was going on, which meant it had to be taped ahead of time. Very interesting. So, so tell us, is there anything on the horizons with with uh, you, Curtis? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm working uh, at various things all the time. Yeah. Um, I just finished a movie in uh, Louisiana uh, called Flypaper. Um, with Patrick Dempsey and Tim Blake Nelson, Ashley Judd, and Jeffrey Tambor. That's um, only just finished. Um, there are a couple of movies 
that are coming out. One is uh, called High School, which comes out next month, I think. And um, that's uh, Michael Chiklis and Adrian Brody are in that. And, um, I'm, of course, I'm doing a regular gig on American Dad as a voice, as well as two other animated series which are not on yet, won't be on until next year. But we've been recording them all summer. Uh, so, you know, there are odds and ends, different things. Um, just uh, uh, the usual stuff. This may be a hard question to, to answer, but of all the movies and all of the television shows that you've appeared in, is there one that is more meaningful to you? No. I can say honestly, no. I mean, I, there is, I, you know, meaningful, it's a job, you know. I mean, I, there, are jo- there are movies that I like more than others. There are, there are terrible movies that I don't even want to think about. Um, you know, but it's a, as uh, someone who's been doing it for decades, it's, it's impossible to say that one thing stands out more than any others. Uh, I did a movie that came out this year, actually, on it went straight to DVD. Everyone missed it, um, but it was a movie that I really loved, called Route Thirty. Route Thirty. Yeah, and it's written and directed by John Putch, and it's got Dana Delaney in it, and Robert Romanos, and. Uh, uh, David DeLuise and uh, Kevin Rahm. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I absolutely love the movie. And um, uh, it's a very small sort of rural uh, comedy in three parts. And we're actually starting in December... Um, I mean, the movie itself is done in three parts. But in addition to that, John Putch is doing three movies over a period over the period of of the next few years. So this was actually made two years ago. Came out in January, I think, of this year. Now in December, we go back to Pennsylvania. That's where it takes place in South Central Pennsylvania. We'll go back in December and shoot the second movie. And then after that movie comes out, then we'll do the third. And they're probably all going to wind up just going to to uh, straight to DVD. But, um, but Route 30 for me was the most pure enjoyment I've had in a long time. And it's, it isn't even that I'm that crazy about my performance in it, but I love the movie deeply. Wow. I, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. So, so you know, you, a second ago, you were ta- when you were talking about Harry Nilsson, you were mentioning that you had written that letter to him about a, a biography. Would you ever still consider that? No, no. I, I mean, I had, I don't know what I was thinking, really. I mean, I, I had no business even suggesting such a thing. I, I mean, I write, but I'm not a, I'm not a, a biographer. And, you know, a biographer is, I mean, for, uh, for someone to do it properly, um, it's, you know, it's something that really needs to be approached by people who know what they're doing. I had this, this, um, this definite desire 
really a passion over the years to expose as much of Harry's music as possible uh, to people. And at the time, I guess it seemed like that would be a way of doing it. And even by that time in 76, he was beginning to sort his star was beginning, such as it was, was beginning to fade. And so I thought that, you know, this would be a way of, you know, giving back and at the same time, uh, you know, exposing this music and, and who he is to people. So that was the way I approached it. But in retrospect, I think about it and I, you know, I've got this, I still have this massive, and I did all of these interviews with session people that he worked with for, you know, for years, you know, I've got all of these taped interviews that I did with Klaus Vorman and Van Dyke Parks and, and uh, Gary Wright and Chris Spedding and Jane Getz and all these people that, producers that did his albums and all this stuff. I've got this massive archive here and I don't really have anything to do with it. You know, so I'm, I, I don't know, eventually I'm going to unload it onto somebody, but I don't know who. Well, that's, that's actually sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds incredible. If you, I don't know what to say about that, but, uh, yeah, that's probably quite a gold mine there, there with Klaus. Well, if it, wow. you know, it's there for somebody who wants to use it. Right. Um, well, but it is, and and in fact, I heard somebody told me the other day that there's somebody in in England who's been blogging about the fact that he's writing a a book about Harry Nilsson. But I don't know any of the details about that, and I've never I've never no one that I know around here has ever heard from him. So I don't know what his thing is um, there, but. You know, eventually I'll have to get rid of this stuff. Well, uh, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you, but I have one final question before we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Armstrong, what would you like to say to all the people listening in? Well, uh, thank you for listening. Um, um, I hope it wasn't boring as hell. Uh, um, uh, I am, you know, it's been a pleasure as always talking about things that interest me that that you know don't have that much to do with me i i love talking about books i love talking about music and uh and so it was nice to be able to uh talk about something that interests me well thank you very much for your time and thank you for all the information i can assure you it wasn't boring uh okay all right mr armstrong thank you very much thank you have a good day bye 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 Goodbye.